0: Today we will be reading from 2 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 14 through to chapter 7 verse 1. Don't team up with those who are unbelievers. How can righteousness be a partner with wickedness? How can light live with darkness? What harmony can there be between Christ and the devil? How can a believer be a partner with an unbeliever? And what union can there be between God's temple and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will live in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from among unbelievers and separate yourselves from them, says the Lord. Don't touch their filthy things and I will welcome you. And I will be your father and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Because we have these promises, dear friends, let us cleanse ourselves from everything that can defile our body or spirit and let us work towards complete holiness because we fear God.
1: Hey everyone, welcome. If you have a Bible, open it up to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. We'll be looking at verse 14 through to chapter 7 verse 1. And you know, one of the best things about helping lead Red Door Church is the fact that uh, every week we have people with us in church who wouldn't call themselves followers of Jesus. I know there are people watching here today and members of our Zoom groups who wouldn't call themselves followers of Jesus. And that really is one of the best things about our church. But I wouldn't blame you if you are watching this Uh, Not yet a follower of Jesus, what the Bible would call an unbeliever, uh, I wouldn't blame you if you were kind of wondering whether that's really true, whether we really do love having you here, whether maybe even God Himself wants you here with us. Because even, right, even as Kathy read the reading for you today, Even Kathy, who has the world's least offensive voice, right? Even as you heard Kathy read the Bible, I wouldn't blame you if you started to wonder, hang on a second, am I really wanted here? Am I even allowed to be here, according to this passage? Like, I'm pretty sure I just heard the Bible call me lawless, Darkness, and unclean. Is that really what God thinks of me? Is that what these Christians think about me? Because you know what I, I I let it slide when I saw you Christians wearing jeans and runners together, and 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 I even let it slide when when I saw you use hashtag om gosh on Facebook, right? And, and now this is how you treat me, calling me lawless and darkness and unclean? And I, I wouldn't blame you if you felt that way, having listened to that reading this morning. And on, on the face of it, yeah, that makes sense. It's understandable. But we go on and on and on here, and you probably would have heard us kind of beat this dead horse, but just when it comes to the bible actually when it comes to any text you would have learnt this in literature class if you took it at school right when it comes to any text we will fail to understand its meaning if we don't understand the context and so we've taken a lot of time during this series in two corinthians to explain the context of this book and the context of what Paul is saying here about believers not being uh, hitched up to or joined with or in partnership with unbelievers. The context here is that, remember, he is trying to warn his church back in Corinth against associating with these super apostles, these false apostles, these false teachers who have come into the church undermining Paul's ministry, undermining the gospel of Jesus and leading people away from the truth. And so what he's talking about specifically here, and we'll get to a general application of this principle in just a bit, but he's specifically talking about these false apostles and he's very deliberate about naming them, labeling them unbelievers. Because he wants the church to know, even though these teachers have come and said, you know, we're we're not just Christians, we are super Christians. We're We're not just apostles, we are super apostles and that Paul guy he's you know he's he's old news right it, even though they have come in with all of these outward credentials and gifts and talents and capabilities right in spite of all of that Paul wants these people to know they are wolves in sheep's clothing to borrow Jesus phrase and so he says to them and 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 labels them for the first time in this letter as unbelievers, and he doesn't want his precious little brothers and sisters in Corinth to associate with these false teachers, these unbelievers. Now, quite apart from that, understanding the context, which gives a bit of nuance to what he's talking about, you've got to know, it should be really clear by now in this letter especially, that quite apart from wanting to push unbelievers away or keep them at arm's length, Paul is spending himself, literally spending his life for the sake of those who wouldn't call themselves Christians. He is, and he's listed it a few times in this letter already, he is suffering in so many different ways for the sake of those who don't yet know Jesus. The reason he puts his body on the line day after day is because he sees himself as a minister of reconciliation. That he's a minister to people who aren't yet reconciled to God. He's spending himself all that he is so that those people whom he deeply loves, cares for, will come to a saving, life-giving relationship with God through the Lord Jesus. And in doing this, he's just following the example of the Lord Jesus. Jesus is the example of someone who suffered for the sake of those who don't yet know him, for those who the Bible calls unbelievers, those who aren't yet followers of Jesus. It's, it's for those people that Jesus came into the flesh, suffered on the cross, and rose again. That's why the most beautiful and bite-sized explanation of the gospel in the Bible is John 3.16, right? For God loved the world in this way. This is how God loved the world. The most quintessential example. He gave his one and only Son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. So both Paul and Jesus are beautiful examples to us of men who suffered and died for the sake of those who don't yet believe. So don't doubt how much Paul, how much Jesus, how much God himself loves you and wants you to be reconciled and in relationship with him. Now, I said there was a general application for this idea of, of not being hitched to, uh, partnered with uh, unbelievers, and, and we're going to get to that now. So in verse 14, Paul um, with, with a heart again for these Corinthians and, and a deep desire for them not to be led away from faith in Jesus, from following Jesus day by day, this deep desire for them not to be uh, led astray. This is what he says in verse 14. Don't become yoked together with those who do not believe. For what partnership is there between righteousness and lawlessness or what fellowship does light have with darkness? So he says, do not be yoked together with those who do not believe. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. And I can just hear my son Judah right now. He's going to be watching this sermon. I can hear him saying, I, I, hate, I hate the yoke. I just like the white egg. All right, and and that's Buddy. That's not what he's talking about. It's not that kind of yoke. All right, this this yoke that he's talking about is something that we're probably not very familiar with, uh, being modern Western. Uh, industrialized people and this would have made a lot more sense to Paul's audience who were an an agrarian society they were used to growing their crops and and eating what they grew Um, the the yoke which I'm going to put a photo of on the screen now is this um, is this tool that a farmer would use to uh, lash together two cattle Uh, it would be a way of joining them up hitching them together and Um, and uh, that would be so that you could have two cows worth of power dragging around your plow or whatever but it would also be a tool to use when you had an older animal and then a younger, inexperienced animal, uh, a way of training the younger animal would be to hitch it together, to yoke it together with the older, more experienced animal. And then literally for, the, for, I don't know, however long it took, you would have the older, stronger, bigger animal dragging around the younger, more inexperienced animal until such time that that animal learned the way of the more experienced animal. Animal, and so this would be what's called being unequally yoked, and this is what Paul is uh, is is imploring them to to stave off in the church in Corinth. He wants them not to be unequally yoked. That is, he doesn't want them to yoke themselves to these big, powerful super apostles, right? These unbelievers. Because he doesn't want them to be dragged around and led astray and learn new ways of being Christian that aren't in accordance with the gospel of Jesus. And so he says to them, don't be yoked. Don't be partnered with those who don't believe. That's the specific application to his own uh, situation with these false apostles and then there's a more general application and this is often used 6 uh, chapter 6 verse 14 is often used to warn Christians against becoming uh, engaged to someone who's not a believer to being married to someone who's not a believer and the same principle applies all right and it's quite a good application of this verse uh, because um uh, being married to someone is very much like being yoked to them. In fact, we even use that language, don't we? You you might say, I'm going to get hitched next month. Uh, That that word hitched means to be connected to, to you you know, you hitch a trailer to the back of a truck. To to be hitched is to be literally yoked. And so uh, we have this understanding of marriage that being married, you will be yoked to another person and uh, so the, 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 the traditional teaching has been, and this is a teaching that I would agree with and, and promote and, and um, affirm, is that if you're a Christian, you ought not be married to an unbeliever because in being married to an unbeliever, you will be unequally yoked and more likely to be led away from following Jesus. And this isn't meant to be a kind of a pejorative against unbelievers um, even that term unbeliever is not meant to be a pejorative or a put down. It's just reflective of the fact that you have someone who does want to follow Jesus and someone who doesn't yet. Uh, and and so most likely in that situation where a, a believer is yoked with an unbeliever, the, the believer is going to be the one who is led astray, is going to be the one who is dragged by the by the bigger, more experienced animal in this case, just because the the person who isn't yet a believer has with them the culture around us which is more likely to overwhelm the personal convictions of the believer. Now, this is sometimes tricky to talk about because we have people in our church who have married unbelievers or perhaps were married and, and then became a Christian, and so are now married to an unbeliever. Uh, so there is a lot of nuance required uh, to, to better understand this principle. Um, and just on that, let me just say this. If at any point during this series... Uh, you have a question that you think, well, we didn't really cover that very well, or we didn't go into enough detail on that point, or I just don't understand this thing. This would be for those of you who aren't yet Christians or those who are, anyone at all. Feel free to text your question into the number that'll be on the screen now. you can text in anonymously. Uh, we have a, a church phone that doesn't have anyone's number in it, so we won't know who it is uh, that's texting unless you put your name to it. And then we would love to take those questions, which we really value, and, um, and then answer them in a, a video during the week or a Facebook Live or something like that. And, uh, and so please feel free to do that. Um, we, we, we absolutely um, expect that we won't get to everything in the passage week on week and we also expect that you'll see things that we've just never seen in preparing the sermon each week. So, you want to ask a question about being unequally yoked in marriage? By all means, send it in. Anything else at all, by all means, send it in. So there is that principle applied from chapter 614 to uh, unbelievers not marrying uh, believers and vice versa. Um, But remember, the specific application here is an application not to be hitched up to, partnered with, yoked with false teachers. And so we need to keep that very much in mind as well. Where are we in the day-to-day believing teaching that's coming from a false place? It's coming from a place that isn't in accordance with, um, congruent with God's word, with the gospel. Right. This might be specific false teaching from people who have set themselves up as Christian leaders like these false apostles had and who are preaching a message that is at odds with the Bible. Right, comes to mind, the, the prosperity gospel is big at the moment, false teaching that will lead you astray from the, the true gospel. Uh, or it might just be messages that come in from the world around you. It might just be advertising Remember we've been talking about how to call out the lie in advertising. It might just be self-talk, which is lies, lies, right? Talk that belittles who you are, that denies your place in God's kingdom, your adoption as His children. right? Self-talk can be false teaching that you need to unhitch yourself from, unyoke yourself from. There's lies from the enemy, from Satan, that from the the Prince of Lies. Paul calls him out in verse fifteen. What agreement does Christ have with Belial? Belial was a, a another term for Satan, particularly in the Old Covenant. So we need to be aware of all the ways in which we are yoking ourselves to false teaching. Then he moves. He moves. Um, Onto, I think, probably the most powerful force that leads us away from following Jesus. It's probably the most powerful and one of the most overlooked. Okay, so let's take a look at it in verse 16. And what agreement does the temple of God have with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will dwell with I will dwell and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. One of the most powerful forces and most overlooked forces leading us away from following Jesus is the force of idolatry. It's idolatry. Now, this is something that, you know, idolatry, idols, probably not something that many of us think about a whole lot. When we think about idols, we think about funny little statues, you know, foreign gods, you know, stuff that people of other religions in faraway places believe in. And that's not really that prevalent in our experience. Although, having said that, I was chatting to a siever from our congregation a little while ago last week, and he was telling me how it was kind of tearing him up that one of his relatives, um, all of his relatives are Hindus, and uh, one of his relatives had accepted Jesus, um, but then she still had a whole bunch of idols uh, in her house, and that was really tearing him up because he wanted her to be free from from all of that other stuff and find true freedom in worshipping the living God. And so, you know, for some of us, there is still that, uh, that form of idolatry in our experience. But I think for most of us, it's another form of idolatry that we don't identify with as much. And I want to read you a definition of idolatry, which I think cuts much closer to home. And this is, comes from uh, Tim Keller wrote a whole book on idolatry called Counterfeit Gods. He's a pastor in New York City and his his, uh, definition is thus. What is an idol? It is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give you what only god can give now that that cuts a little bit closer to home now the tragedy of idolatry the tragedy of idolatry of of putting anything, even good things, most of these things are actually good things, good gifts of God that we turn into gods themselves, right? Anything that we put in God's place and start to revere and to worship, anything that absorbs us in the way that only God should absorb us. The tragedy of doing this is that we take these good things And we try and make them gods, something which they were never designed to do. And the truth is that whatever you idolize, you will eventually demonize. Whatever you idolize, you will eventually demonize. If you take something good like a spouse and idolize that person it is absolutely guaranteed that you will eventually demonize them. When they fail to be the God that you want them to be, eventually you will cast them away as a demon. Because they were no God at all. Now in another book, Tim Keller goes into... This Truth in Detail, a book called The Reason for God. If Again, if you're here this morning and, and not yet a follower of Jesus and you want just a, a sort of big picture defense of the Christian faith, this is a really, really good book to pick up. I'd love to, to lend it to anyone who wants it. The Reason for God, Belief in an Age of Skepticism. And just way back in the footnotes, he, he gives these examples of the ways in which we can Idolize things and the negative res- results that follow. And I'm going to read this to you. It is a longer quote. And so he- the danger is that we kind of tune out during this time, but I'd love you to pay close attention because when I read this, it really, really got me. Okay. I hope it gets you too. He says, if you center your life and identity on your spouse or partner, you will be emotionally dependent, jealous and controlling, the other person's problems will be overwhelming to you. If you centre your life and identity on your family and children, you will try to live your life through your children until they resent you or have no self-identity of their own. At worst, you may abuse them when they displease you. If you center your life and identity on your work and career, you will be a driven workaholic and a boring, shallow person. At worst, you will lose family and friends, and if your career goes poorly, develop deep depression. If you center your life and identity on money and possessions, you'll be eaten up by worry or jealousy about money. You'll be willing to do unethical things to maintain your lifestyle, which uh, will eventually blow up your life. If you centre your life and identity on pleasure, gratification and comfort, you'll find yourself getting addicted to something. You'll become chained to the, ex- the escape strategies by which you avoid the hardness of life. If you centre your life and identity on relationships and approval, you will be constantly overly hurt by criticism and thus always losing friends. You will fear confronting others and therefore will be a useless friend. If you centre your life and identity on a noble cause, you will divide the world into good and bad and demonise your opponents. Ironically, you will be controlled by your enemies. Without them, you have no purpose. If you centre your life and identity on religion and morality, you will, if you are living up to your moral standards, be proud, self-righteous and cruel. If you don't live up to your standards, your guilt will be utterly devastating. End quote. That just got me. I think there are so many areas in my life, so many people, things that threaten to take my central affections away from God Himself, that threaten to become my idols and therefore. Threatened to become my demons. And so Paul says in verse 1 of chapter 7 So then, dear friends, since we have these promises about being God's children, about Him being our God, right? The living God, not some carved idol or even some shadow of God made in His image. Since we have these promises of free and ready access to God, that we ourselves are temples of the living God. Since we have these promises, let us cleanse ourselves from every impurity of the flesh and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. The question for us that Paul's leaving us with The question is, what are the things in my life? What are the people in my life, what are the areas of my life that are taking God's rightful place at the center of my life? And what are the things that are threatening to become demons rather than good gifts from God? What are the things that I'm so putting on a pedestal, so revering, so worshiping, in my thoughts, words, and deeds, that in doing so, I am actually condemning, that I'm actually cursing. It sounds a lot, that last exhortation sounds a lot like what the writer to the Hebrew says to the congregation he writes to. He says, let us throw off everything that hinders And the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. Right. Let us put him at the center of all that we do. Let us make all of life all about Jesus. And so the exhortation, the encouragement, he says, dear friends, Purify yourself, cleanse yourself, throw off everything that hinders, that entangles. What is it this morning that you need to to throw off? What is it that you need to take down off that pedestal and put back in its right place? So that God himself can be at the center of your life. I took up skateboarding late in life uh, not till I was 30 something uh, because when I was a teenager uh, my brothers and I would buy cars paddock bombs uh, out of the trading post to drive around our paddock so we didn't have much need of skateboards but uh, after I moved here to Caroline Springs from a very hilly area not so good for skateboards to a very flat area nice for skateboards um, I I, uh, was put onto skateboards by A guy that some of you know, Hong, used to run uh, Brew Brothers Cafe in Caroline Springs. Uh, He is a a fellow old man skateboarder and he put me onto skateboarding. and, uh, And after a little while of skateboarding from my house, two Ks away from church, up to church and then back again, I started to try and gamify it a little bit and started to time myself how quickly I could get from one place to the other. And this was good, it got me, I got quicker and quicker and quicker to a point where I just plateaued and I just couldn't get any faster. And so I took my skateboard to Hong and I said to him, you know, I got the skateboard that you said I should get. Uh, It's a cruiser, big chunky wheels that can deal with the terrible footpath uh, here in Caroline Springs, that real kind of gritty aggregate, footpath that skateboarders hate uh did all that i bought new wheels right these big uh soft wheels that will help me go super fast um what more can i do you know what more can i do to 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 get quicker and he picked up a tool like this and he said here's what you need to do and he unscrewed the wheel and then he uh he took it off and then uh he, he did this and inside the wheel, unbeknownst to me, is a bearing and then he, he took the bearing and he, he got a screwdriver and popped off the, the cover and inside the bearing was a bunch of junk. There was a bunch of mud and grease and build up and just rubbish and the ball bearings inside could hardly move because of all of the junk, and he took them out and cleaned them in this special solution, put them back together, and I flew all the way home. That illustration, that, that image is what comes to mind when I read Paul here, telling us to cleanse ourselves from every impurity in, in, in the flesh and in the spirit right in the writer to hebrews throw off everything that hinders anything that entangles right anything that hinders you from running the race it might be and it's almost certainly true that you need a friend who can examine your life your flesh and spirit you need a friend who can get over past the surface stuff right to the heart of things, can identify where there is grime and dirt and mud and rubbish and help you to cleanse, right? Help you to cast off that which is hindering you from following Jesus. This is a precious person that you ought to seek out either within our church or without it. Someone who you can trust, who as in last week's passage, someone you can open your heart up to. To be vulnerable for the purpose of not being condemned, but growing in Christlikeness. likeness well, I'm going to bless us now as we go. Ask for God's blessing on us as we go out into this week, seeking to put him at the centre to follow Jesus in all that we do. Friends, the peace of God, which passes all understanding. Keep your hearts and minds in the knowledge and love of God and of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, and the blessing of God Almighty, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit be among us and remain with us always. Amen. Love you guys. Bless you.